Um, this morning, I um, found out that I was going to be sharing. So uh, it's always good to submit. Um, hey, it pays really good dividends. I used to joke around and tell Keith, does it pay any more to be nice? And he'd look at me and smile real big and say, yes. And it does. It pays more. So, uh, But anyway, in, in thinking about what the Lord would have me to share this morning, I told him in first service, uh, we've been doing ministry things now for pretty much 30 years. And uh, sometimes you look back on, over that that period of time and you think about what you've learned and it's like brother Hagen used to say after that amount of time you just stumble across a few things you know you just happen across things and you realize you've learned some things after that many years and but what happens is after doing that you forget what things were like when you first started You forget what it was like the first time you ever really believed for anything or how difficult that was or or what it was like to stand or what it was like to have to exercise your faith or and um, like I said first service I said I, I remember the first time we did anything with an airplane and Keith started studying about airplanes and and we'd watch these videos by by John and Martha and uh, they'd tell these parts of an airplane and stuff, and, and they'd say, the flaps. And I'd go, flap? What is a flap? Or they'd say, a rudder. And I'd go, I didn't know the propeller from the rudder. I didn't know the flap from the altimeter. And some of you don't. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? It was all Greek to me. I I didn't know any of it. But now, I know what they are. And if Keith says, we need to check on this, or we need to do that, or tell Perry this, or tell this one that, or I have at least a working knowledge of what he's talking about. Well, we forget as we walk in the things of God over a period of time what it's like to walk out the things of God as you grow. It's like, do you remember what it was like to tie your first pair of shoes. Do you actually remember that? No. You don't actually remember how hard it was to learn to tie that pair of shoes. But you can imagine it was probably pretty difficult and probably pretty frustrating. You know, because you, you now you just do it without even thinking. How many of you sit there and think about, okay, well, the bunny goes here and the ear goes here. And <laughs> How many of you have to do that today? If you do, we better pray for you. So, yeah, there's one hand back here back in the back, you know. But you, you'll tie your shoes while you're talking on the phone or you'll tie your shoes while you're doing something else. You just don't think about it anymore, right? Well, that's what happens with the things of hearing from God or the things of faith, it it becomes a second nature to you the more you do it. But you have to do it. And it's like Keith used to tell me about working out with weights. You know, I was one of these people. He has been bodybuilding, martial arts all of his life. And, you know, me, I would get in there and act silly with him, you know, and I'd try to get the big weights. I'm saying, I'm going to get big, you know. And he'd say, Phil, it's not about how much weight, it's about form, 
How many of you have ever worked out? You know, it's not about how much weight you use. It's about the form that you've got. You don't just sling it around and do this. It's like, get it right. You know, turn it right. Twist it right. Do this right. Understand the concept that I'm getting at? Well, it's the exact same way with working your faith. People want to pile on all this weight, but they never got the form right. So they're getting zero results. You ever seen somebody that goes to the gym all the time, but they're not getting any results? And you see somebody that barely goes to the gym, and they do very little, but they get results every time that they go. Why? Because they've got their form right. They're doing it exactly right every time that they do it. You've got to get the foundation right in order for things to be right. And if you get the foundation right, then everything that follows it will be easy for you. But if you never get the foundation right, faith will always be difficult for you. And so what's happened is people have decided that, well, I don't know if faith really works. I don't know if getting things from God really, really works. I don't know if healing really works. I don't know if getting my needs met really, really work. Because they haven't got the foundation right. They've tried to jump from first grade to twelfth grade. And missed all the things in between. Well, so this morning what I want to do is I want to go back to first grade. And you know sometimes... When you've got something, and um, I know with me it's that way. After you get, like, say, a new phone, I don't ever, I'm horrible, horrible, horrible. I, I never read the manuals. I always hand it to Keith and say, read this and tell me what it says. <laughs> and he will. And, um, but then after you get it, you go back and you read again, and you see all this stuff you didn't see when you first got it because you've learned a few things about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? After you've had something for a little while, you go back and you reread it again and you, you catch all the stuff that you didn't know before that a program will do. A computer program or a phone or a, a stove or a car or all, all those different sorts of things. Well, that's what I want us to do this morning. Is I want us to go back and see if we can catch things that we missed before. Okay? And um, I think it will help you. Um, so let's look at Hebrews. 11.1. Everybody's read this. Probably most of you can quote it. But it's not what you can quote that helps you. Hebrews 11.1 in the King James says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really just explain things to me. I told them in first service, I said, um, uh, you know, I looked up marriage one time when I was about to do a marriage meeting years ago, and it said, the act of being married. <laughs> and that just answered all my questions about what marriage was. What about you? Mm, not. Let's look at this in the Living Bible, and I think it'll help you a lot. It says... What is faith? 
It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. That explain it a little better? The confident assurance that something you want is going to happen. That's what faith is. That you have confidence that something you want is absolutely going to happen without question. Does that help you lots better? Uncomplicates what a rudder is real quickly, right? You know what a flap is. It's that little thing that goes down on the side of the plane. Okay? Okay, you know what a wheel on an airplane is then. (laughs) Uncomplicates it. That what you want is going to happen. Okay? How can you... Point to your neighbor. How can you be confident that what you want is going to happen? Let's look at an example. Would you say Abraham is a good example? Let's look at him. Romans 4. Somebody kill that wasp. 4.18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And not being, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, let me ask you a quick question before we we read verse 21. Today's society has a tendency to call itself... You've even seen, I've seen bronzes and I've seen posters. Self-made man. How many of y'all have seen those? And we like that. It's a tendency that we as man like. To be able to say, you've seen a little two-year-old, I want to do it. What do they say? By myself. They want to do it by their self. But what can we really do by ourself? Keep that in mind. And being fully persuaded that what who had promised? He, God, had promised he, God, was also able to perform. 
So who was Abraham's faith in? Was Abraham's faith in himself? Was it in Sarah? Who was his faith in? Who did he trust? God. Look at the Amplified in that. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about a 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's deadened womb, nor unbelief, no unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly questioned concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. Fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. Now think for just a minute. Is there anything in your life that you would consider as dead? Your finances, your job, your marriage, your kids, your boss. Your brain, your foot dead to diabetes, your liver. Do you understand what I'm saying? If Sarah and Abraham's body were dead, can your things come back to life? Does it matter how dead they are? Did it matter how dead their stuff was? What if it's really dead? What if you've already filed for divorce? What if you're already divorced? That's dead. Dead's dead. What if you're on the verge of bankruptcy? That's some dead finances. Right? Can it come back to life? Think about it. The Revised Standard says in in verse 20, it said, No distrust made him waver. No distrust in who? So where is the problem here? The problem is that we have done a major flip-flop in who and what we've been believing. The problem is that we have been believing ourselves to perform something instead of God performing something. You yourself are not responsible to perform anything you don't have to do anything did Abraham have to bring Sarah's womb back to life did he have to make his self perform anything absolutely not 
What did he have to do? Trust God. But what we've done is we've said we have to do it. Why did we do that? Because so many people want to begin or have begun to take credit for themselves and it's become a stigma in faith circles that shows how mature a Christian you are by how much faith you have. Now, I trust Keith, and I believe in Keith. And if Keith does something for me, I'll tell it like I did first service. If Keith goes out and gets me something and thinks of something he wants to do for me, and it's something really, really good, And he believes for it. And he makes it happen. And all I do is receive it. Say, for instance, this ring. Say that was part of it. I mean, I believed on this, but just use it for an example. Say that he went out, he found it, he hunted it down. And he just came in one day and he handed it to me. He used his faith for it. He hunted it down. He worked for the money to get it. He did everything. Would that make me special because I just stood there and received it? In any way, would it make me special? Who would it make special? The one that performed it. So how are we as people taking the credit for our faith when number one, we didn't give ourselves faith. We can't perform anything. It's a measure of his faith. We do barely good to stand long enough to believe for anything. But yet and still, for some unknown reason, we've decided it's the thing that makes us be mature Christians if we have faith. Or we receive something from God. When all that means is we trust God. That we trust the one that we're supposed to trust. You can't give yourself anything. God has already given you some things. Let me give you another example. Say these pearls I have on. How many of you know where they came from? Majority of you. Keith bought them for me several years ago. I don't know if it was my birthday or our anniversary or what it was. I've got the necklace and I've got the bracelet and I've got the earrings, actually two sets of earrings. And he bought them for me. And he gave them to me. He went in the store. He picked them out. There was two sets there. He said, which one would you prefer? And he gave them to me. Now, some days I might not be as much fun to live with as other days. I know you can't believe that. And you're never that way. 
And he'll go, oh, Phil. But now he don't get up that morning and go to my jewelry box and take my pearls away from me. Because I messed up on something. He went, he bought them, he paid for and he gave them to me. They are mine without strings forever and eternity. They belong to me. They're mine. He doesn't want them back. He spent his money. He bought them. They belong to me. The same with this ring. He spent a lot of money on it. It would not bless him one bit if I left him sitting in the jewelry box because he thought I was upset or he was upset with me. He would not be blessed one bit if I didn't wear them. Which do you think it blesses him more? To see me enjoy them? Or to leave them sitting in the jewelry box? The more I wear them, the more it blesses him. Right? Because he thought, I picked out something she really enjoys. I picked out something she, it blesses her. Right? What about you? What did Jesus do for you? What did he buy for you? Did he buy something for you? He bought healing. He bought prosperity. He bought spiritual death, salvation. What are you doing with it? Do you wake up in the morning and say, I messed up. Maybe he doesn't want me to have this today. Maybe I'll just put it back in the jewelry box for today. And won't accept my healing today. Because I, I really don't feel like I deserve it today. Now, I wear my pearls pretty much every day. One day I didn't wear them. And Tom and Amy came to me and they said, Mrs. Moore, are you going to be able to think today? Because you don't have on your pearls. <laughs> Honest. If they, are they in here? They're usually in here. They, they honest came to me and they said, we don't think you can think today because you don't have on, but I had on a different set. <laughs> but I wear these most every single day. Good days, bad days, rain, shine. Keith's not going to wear them. <laughs> he doesn't want them back. He paid a big price for them. And he wants me to have the benefit of it. The same thing with you about your healing. Jesus took stripes on his back. Why? Why did he take stripes on his back? 
so that you could be healed. Well, maybe you don't feel like it today. Maybe you talked about somebody. Maybe you messed up. Did he say, so you messed up today, you don't deserve to be healed? Not a chance. It's already bought and paid for. You can't give it back. It's already done. It's yours. It belongs to you. God did it for you. It's done. I bet you every person in this room, if we had you to raise your hand, would be fighting off some symptom. Well, why aren't they healed? Because the devil has come to them and told them some reason that they don't deserve it. I know I was talking to somebody a year or so ago about them getting married. And they had convinced themselves it was something they were doing wrong. And it's that way with everything in people's lives. The devil will come to you and he will convince you it's all you. You're doing something wrong. Well, you don't have to perform it. All you have to do is look to God. He's the one. But what we've done is we've looked to us. We have to work it. It's our faith. We have to do it. What am I doing? What it me? Me, 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 me. I, 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 me, me, me. When all he's saying is, hey, I'm here. Look at me. I've already done it. It's here for you. Go put your pearls on. Don't just leave them in the jewelry box. The healing's already yours. Just take it. It's yours. You don't have to do anything. It's yours. But what most people think is they don't know enough scripture. The devil told them. You don't know enough word. How many of you know one scripture on healing? You know enough. Brother Hagin read one scripture on healing and got out of a bed from a paralytic condition. Are you paralyzed? Nah. All you need is trusting God. Let me read your scripture on finances. You know the ones about healing, most of you, but let's read one on finances. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Most of you need to hear this one. It's Christmas time. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, uh-oh, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Say, that's me. Let me read you the Message Bible. Verse 9. Everybody read it with me. Do you know what everybody means? Just thought I'd check. You are familiar with the generosity of our Master, Jesus Christ. Rich as He was, He gave it all away for us. In one stroke, He became poor and I became rich. Who's he talking about? Your neighbor? 
in one stroke, it would be like, okay, I don't want this money anymore, Dave. It's yours. How long did that take? Became rich. You can't give it back to him. He don't want it. It's just like these pearls. I can give these back to Keith, but what do you think he's going to do with with them? Go give them to another woman? I don't think so. Do you get my point? He became poor. For whose benefit? What do you have to do to deserve it? How good can you be to get it? But you messed up. So did I, and I'm still wearing these pearls and this ring. Do you understand what I'm getting at? I'll never be good enough. I'll never do every single thing right to deserve this stuff. I make mistakes. I'm human. So are you. And if you're waiting to be perfect, to feel like you deserve your healing or your finances, you will never receive it. Why did Jesus die for you? What was the point? He's the only perfect one. And that was the whole point in him coming. Because he knew Perry wasn't going to be perfect. He would know, he knew he was going to do everything he possibly could, but he knew he was going to have a mind and today he might get up and he might say something a little bit short to Mary today and then he's going to be feel condemned the whole rest of the day. And he might have a headache. And what's the very first thing the devil's going to say? Do you know how short you were with Mary? You deserve that headache. Is that true or is that true? But all he's got to do is say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, Jesus already did it for me. I can still wear my pearls if I want to. She ain't going to wear them. Well, she would, but anyway. But she don't get them. But you see the point. You'll never be good enough. To where that you do everything exactly the way that the devil thinks. Who said you had to listen to him anyway? Since when is he your judge? Why are you listening to him? Who set him up to be your judge? That you deserve that money. Or you deserve this marriage. Or you deserve your healing. There's only one person that said you deserved it and he died for it. 
So why are you still trying to prove you deserve it? When it's already been bought and paid for. I don't have to get up every day and convince Keith I deserve my pearls. Or I deserve my ring. He loved me. And he hunted it down. And he found it. And he bought it. And he gave it to me. Freely. And he never thinks about it again. He don't ever get up and think about my pearls. I can guarantee you he doesn't. The only time he'll think about it is he'll say, Man, Phil, that sure is a pretty ring. I'm glad we were able to get it. That's the extent of it. And blessed because I have it. That's the only thing he is. Is blessed because I enjoy it. How many of you men would be blessed because your wife had a big, beautiful ring? Oh, thrilled. Would you, if you woke up in the morning and maybe you had a disagreement, think about going taking it and hiding it from her? <laughs> I think not. Do you think about doing it to her engagement ring now? No. You're going to go sell her wedding band because you had a fight? If you are, you're really dumb. Dumber than you look, as Keith says. I tell you. The reason that people do these things... Let me skip ahead and read you a scripture that I had at the very end. And I didn't even get to it at first service, but I think it really matters that we think this. Put up 1 John 4.18. In the King James. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Confusing? A little. Let's read it in the New Living in comparison to what we're talking about. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows... That we have not fully experienced perfect love. Now why am I not afraid. That Keith is going to go and take my ring or my pearls. Why am I not afraid of that. Because I am fully convinced. Beyond a shadow of a doubt of his love for me. I am not in any fear at all that when I wake up in the morning that he's going to be gone. He's not going to be there for me. He's going to be mad at me. My pearls are going to be gone. My ring's going to be gone. 
My truck is going to be gone. Any of the jewelry he's given me over the years is going to be gone. Any of the clothes he's given me over the years is going to be gone. My house is going to be gone. I have absolutely no fear of those things. That anything he's ever given me is not going to be there at my disposal. Why is that? Because he loves me. If I woke up in the morning, if anything, I would be thinking there would be something more there for me. Why is that? Because he loves me. I have no fear. I have no fear whatsoever when I'm around him. Because there is perfect love. I'm not afraid that he's going to a whip that I've done something wrong. Take something away from me because I've missed it. Hold something back from me because I've not done it exactly right. There's been things, I mean, we work together. It's not just a marriage. We work together. We deal with stuff constantly, all the time. I I make mistakes. I mean, there's things he'll say, uh, we're going to do this, and I'll think he means do it now, and I'll do it. And he'll say, Phil, I didn't mean do that right now. I meant we were going to do this, and I'll tell Karen, do that. And he'll go, Phil. But I have no fear that because of that, my relationship is, is ruined and I can't talk to him. I have no fear that I'm going to lose my fellowship with him, my healing, my prosperity, my answers, my wisdom. None of those things. Because he loves me. And that's the way our Father God is. He bought these things for us and He gave them to us because He loves us. And if you have torment and if you have fear that your bills are not going to be paid or that you're not going to be healed, why would that be? Because you have fear that He doesn't love you enough. Because if you knew how much he loved you, you would know. He would break down every wall that there was. He would do everything that he could possibly do to get it to you. But it's you that's stopping it. You know, the scripture, judge not, because he that's judging is doing the same thing. You're judging him for not loving you enough when it's really you that's not loving him enough and cutting off the supply to him. Because if you trusted him enough to love him enough, then he could get all the supply right to you. But it's you not loving him enough. I could do the same thing to Keith. I could say... He's got things for me. But I could stand back and I could say, 
I messed up on this. Golly. Oh, I messed up so bad. I shouldn't have done it that way. And I could get, oh, so upset and go in and pull back from him. And not talk to him and pull back because I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Oh, what is he going to do? What is he going to say? Oh, no. Is he going to be really, really upset with me? And get in fear. And not want to be around him because I'm in fear. Is that Keith's fault? Whose fault is that? Can I get anything from Keith that way? He can try to fix it. But if I'm like, no, no, and I just go away and I keep pulling back and I keep snapping at him because I'm scared. No, I I don't want that. I, I, I don't deserve that. Take it back. Can he give me anything? It's impossible. He could give me a necklace. I could leave it sitting. He could give me a bracelet. I don't deserve it. Just leave it sitting right there. Never wear it. Feel like you don't deserve it. What did it benefit him to spend the money on it? It was a waste. That's the way so many people are doing with God. He's already bought and paid for it. He's already spent his son Jesus' life for it. The most valuable thing he had. And we're still deciding whether we're going to believe what the devil says about it or what he says about it. When all we have to do is trust him. What does it mean to trust? Trust is one in which confidence is placed. A condition in which one is free from doubt. Now that's saying a lot. What happens is we can't trust God because we doubt him. Let's, let me read you another scripture here. Romans 12, 3. From the Amplified. It says, For by the grace, the unmerited favor of God, given to me, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought, not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned him, apportioned by God to him. What does that mean? What does that have to do anything with what we've been talking about? How much can you believe for? It's totally based on how much you can trust God. 
You cannot believe for more in faith than you can believe that you can trust God. And that's what it's talking about. Don't think more highly an exaggerated opinion of yourself. Who are you believing for anything? God. Where does the faith come from? Who's going to make it happen? God. Look at Mark 11. Verse 22. Read this with me. Who said it? Jesus said, have faith in God. Not have faith in you. And how much you can do and can't do. But have faith in God. Put the next verse up. See all that? It says, speak into the mountain, be cast into the sea, and shall not believe in his heart. Shall believe, doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He'll have what's, how many of you have heard this verse before? How many thousands of times? Put the first verse up again. Who do you have to believe? Not you. It's not you doing it. It's God doing it. But we have flip-flopped it. We've thought we have to do it. When only God can do it. All we have to do is trust Him. But we can only trust Him as much as we know Him. I trust Keith more today than the day I married him. How many of you married people can understand that? You trust your spouse more today than the day you married him. Or less. I didn't mean that to be funny, but... You trust people based upon what they prove to you over a period of time. So that's what you can base your faith upon. You can't just step out in faith with no trust. So the more you trust God, the more faith you can have. It's so easy. You don't have to do it. All you have to do is trust Him. The New Living says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each one of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. God gave you the faith. He knows how much of it you have. So evaluate yourself based upon what you have. I know, just like what I said at the very beginning... We've been doing this for 30 years plus. And we've made some mistakes along the way. You've heard Keith tell the stories about the vehicles that we got. They were not of God. We had to turn around and sell them. They were difficult to pay for. We messed up. You can have God's perfect will or you can have his permissive will. We don't want his permissive will anymore. We want his perfect will. Because it's so much easier to pay for things when you get his perfect will. So what we did was, 
we went back. And we got rid of things. We got ourselves out from under the pressures of things that we knew were not God. And we found out how to have some faith victories. We quit trying. We got What we do is we went to Ramah, which people had done it left and right, and I can only speak about what we did, around people that had been believing God for decades. And we tried to be where they were in two years. And we almost lost everything we had. Because of pride. Because of trying to show off where we were when we were not. And we didn't learn the foundation of faith. We didn't learn how to work our faith. We didn't learn how to believe God for the $5 and the $10 and the $15 and the lunch money and the gas money and the clothes. And like he said, the two sport coats and the socks. And we had to turn around. And I got news for you. You will not skip those steps. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were standing in my kitchen And they said, we thought we knew what it was like to believe God for finances. It was a couple, and they said, we thought, we knew. We thought, if you would have asked us if we knew what it was like to believe God for finances, as long as we've been around ministry stuff, but we didn't. You can trust God in one area and not know in another area. And every area you have to grow in. And until you go back and you build that foundation and you start at the bottom, you'll not jump to the 12th grade. You'll keep falling backward and you'll keep falling back down. You'll build just and you'll fall back down. You'll build and you'll fall back down and you'll build and you'll fall back down. There is not social promotion with God. You have to learn it with him. You can't fool him. You can't fake him off. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your own evaluation. You're never going to trick God. You may fool the people around you for a little while, but eventually you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your car. You'll lose your business. You'll lose your marriage because of the pressures of the other things. And that's really frustrating for us as pastors. Sometimes I just lay in the bed and I just cry because you love some of these people so much and you see what they're going through. And that's why sometimes I'll get up here and I'll get so hard because I see what people are going through and it's like, God. And you just want to say, don't they see they've got to back up? They've got to start over in order to get where they need to be. And until they do that, they're never going to go forward. And yeah, it's tough on your flesh. When we had to do it, we were around Brother Hagen. We were around Ken Jr. We were around all the Raymond teachers. We were around, Keith was teaching at the school. He was one of the instructors. Teaching other people about faith. And he still had to sell his cars and ride with me. 
because somebody had given me one. Because we were acting higher and mightier than what we were. You will not fake off God. You got to start where you are and build your foundation. Get your muscle lifting right. Get the form right. God wants to meet you where you are. He wants to help you. But you cannot use your faith stronger than what you can trust Him. And it grows like a marriage grows with time. And the more time you spend with Him and the longer you've been with Him, I can believe Him now for a million just like I could believe Him for ten. Because it's the same thing now to me. But I couldn't have done it had we not broken away and gotten rid of that other stuff. But I wouldn't take anything for doing it now. It hurt my flesh. To have to stand in front of all the other staff and all the other people and all the friends and family that had seen us get this stuff and have to go all the way back down to square one. But it's worth every bit of it to be able to be standing here with you now with everything that you've got, everything that we've got about to be paid for, everything that we know. I mean, my home is paid for, our cars are paid for, our vehicles are paid for. Everything I own is paid for. Now, I know I wouldn't be there had we not have done that. And that's how you get there, not by faking it. God wants us all to that level. But we don't get there by, by pretending we're someplace that we're not. Second um, Thessalonians 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanius, Timothy, uh, Timotheus, it says, uh, to the church at the Thessalonians. He's talking to them about their faith growing exceedingly. So we know that our faith can grow. It may start here, but every year we should be growing and growing. And growing and growing. We don't have to stay down. But we should be growing all the time. But we should be growing at His time and His speed. And not adding things to ourselves, but letting Him add them to us. He wants us to have it all. Our faith will come by hearing. Hearing in Him and trusting in Him. And then standing. Let me read you this scriptures, Ephesians 6, and you'll get what I'm getting at. Ephesians 6, 13, wherefore, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. The Amplified says, stand your ground in the day of danger and having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. The message is what I wanted to get to, and I think you'll understand. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued. So that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll be the one, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. 
God's word is an indispensable weapon. So like we said earlier, when the devil comes to Perry and says he, he deserves that headache, he's got the weapon of the word. He knows he doesn't deserve it. When he tells you you've stepped out beyond your faith, you know you've backed up and you've done what you know you need to do. You don't have the condemnation eating at you. You know the word. You know you've gotten to the place that you need to be. You've not gone out beyond where your heart has led you. We see people all the time that have stretched themselves beyond where their true faith and heart and trust is in God. They, they've just ta- taken major steps that Keith and I just look and, and we say, now how long did they pray about that? Am I? When we know the major steps that we've taken in our lives, we've prayed about for four years. And they've prayed about it for a month and we've been walking with God 30 years and they've been walking with Him for a year. And then they're broke and they're, they're upset and they're hurting and you feel so bad for them and you want to coddle them and say it's going to be okay. But it can't be okay unless they back up and admit, I missed it. But because of pride, so many people won't say, hey, I missed it. But you know what? I've missed it lots of times. And we've had to back up and say, you know what? We missed it on this car or we missed it on this thing. And we've backed up and we've said, okay, let's get back on track. And until you're willing to do that, you'll be off course your whole life. It's better to go back and get back on course than it is to just... It's like Keith used to say, you know, when he would get a song and sing it on the platform. When he knew he got the wrong song, he said, I didn't just sing the chorus and four verses. When he knew he had the wrong song, just keep singing it, even though it was wrong. No, you stop after the chorus and you say, oops, this is wrong. And that's what we must do. So what? What the person next to you thinks about you. It matters what that person thinks about you. Because he's the one that you're going to be looking to for the faith. He's the one you're going to be looking to for the healing. He's the one you're going to be looking to for the, to save your marriage or the answers. Just because something is a good deal doesn't make it God. And the devil is constantly throwing things at us. I, I remember the other church. Somebody came to us and they said, we want to pay for the whole church. We, we, want, to, we want to give you the money. Free and clear. We don't want y'all to have to pay anything for it. And red flags in every direction with us. No, 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 no. Well, we look back now and we think, thank God we didn't do that at some of the things that's happened. Well, just because somebody wants to pay for everything for you, that don't make it God. That could be a curse instead of a blessing. That's not necessarily a leading. Money is a devil's trap a lots of times. And you really need to hear from God about it. You need to be led. Back up. Stop. Pray. Don't be swayed just because it looks good and it sounds good. Stop. Follow this in here, not this up here. Trust Him. The more you know Him, the more you can trust him. Somebody asked John Osteen one time, they said, Brother John, how come your church got so big? You know who John Osteen is, right? 
Joel's daddy. He's gone home to be with the Lord. They said, Brother John, how come you had such a huge church? And he looked at him, and he said, Because I didn't quit when others quit. You can quit anytime. You can give up on your marriage. You can give up on your family. You can give up on your kids. You can give up on your job. You can give up on anything, anytime. Or you can do this. Put up Hebrews 4.3. In the Amplified, if you would. Just the first part is all I want to read. For we who have believed, adhered to, and trusted in, and relied on, do enter into rest. How many of you in here believe and trust in God? And you're going to quit trying to fix it and do it for yourself. Because you can't. Can you fix your foot? Can you fix your finances? Can you deal with ministering spirits to go out and bring the money in? You can pray. You can ask God to do it. But can you can you make them do it? All you can do is look to God. So what you might as well do is just lay back and enjoy the pearls in the ring. It's already paid for. Stand up. Don't give them back. Some other woman might get them. Nah. Let's close our eyes just for a minute. Father God, we look to you this morning. Say this after me. Father, if I have not relied on you and trusted in you and trusted in myself, I plan on changing that. Here and now, I do trust you. I do rely on you. And if I need to make changes, if I need to go back, I'm not too proud. I'll do it. With your help and your grace and your abilities, I'll do whatever I need to do to get this right. Because I plan on growing and going forward. And accomplishing everything you have planned for me. I will not let the devil steal one healthy day, one prosperous day of my saved life. I'll do all that you asked me to do with your grace, your strength, and your ability in Jesus' name. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody in here this morning 